Hello everyone and welcome to the Crowncast. My name is Logan and I am your host as we dive into today's episode uh, primarily focused on the inaugural match between the LA Galaxy and the Charlotte FC. And what a match it was, but it would be honestly an injustice for you all to just have to listen to my voice. So I've brought someone along who actually knows what he's talking about. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan, how's it going? I think saying I know what I'm talking about is a little generous. I don't I don't prefer to think of it as generous as much as uh, I get to then pass off the responsibility of really knowing what I'm saying to you so that <laughs> so that if people feel we're not adequately representing anything, uh, they'll know who to who to go to with all of their mentions. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I give you trouble, but honestly, you are here because uh, you have some wonderful insights into the game and and this is going to be one of those early ones that we get to really look into a match and see how we felt about it and see what we think about what can be. And before we get into that fun sort of juicy meat on the bone, I am going to touch just a little bit on the stuff that happened pre-match on the show that was inside of the stadium. And I know we talked about this a lot. For those of you who haven't uh, watched the post-match or listened to the post-match reaction, I was a little bit intoxicated and very, very happy. So if you want to hear what happens when a podcaster has slightly too much alcohol and way too much joy, that's a good one for you to go back and check out. But I do want to say it has been written about across every single one of the media outlets here in Charlotte. You cannot uh, look at a billboard or anything without seeing the news that during the first home match, when the national anthem was set to be sung, we had an audio issue across the stadium. It is very unfortunate. It happens, but it's so troublesome for it to be a high visibility issue like this, that the thing that doesn't work wasn't just a flickering screen for a moment. It was that the woman who was supposed to be singing the national anthem literally could not be heard by anyone. But while we have this down moment, I get to highlight all of the 74,000 fans 74.5 thousand fans in the stadium because every single one of them, myself included, picked up immediately after that mic fell out. And there were 75,000 people singing the national anthem saying, we are all a part of this show and it is going to go on no matter what happens. And it was moving. It was spectacular to be a part of. I know people who are not even American citizens who were at that match. And as soon as that mic dropped out, they were right in it, singing along with everyone else. It was unifying. It did not matter if the fans were LA Galaxy or the new fans for Charlotte FC who made the atmosphere so great. But I, I have to, to, to shout out the fans, to shout out the people who were watching from both teams, from every nation, uh, who came together and said, no, this show goes on and it's going to be fantastic because that is what sport is about. That that coming together is what sport is about. It uh, it looked incredibly impressive, uh, you know, on TV and on social media afterwards. And, and you know, I'd say even national news uh, picked up a lot of different, uh, a lot of different national outlets and everything picked that story up and continued uh, sharing those videos from inside of the stadium and, and watching them after the fact. It was incredibly moving. 
to the point I think where you know I'm I'm hearing some voices calling for this to become a Charlotte FC tradition. Yes. Of let's not have somebody come in and sing the national anthem for us, but let's let you know those raucous fans continue doing what was a very natural thing uh, at the start of that LA Galaxy match. Yeah, and I will say, you know, personally, I'm one of the people who I'm on that train. Um, I I think I would probably like to see a national anthem leader, someone who actually can sing, uh, who is brought in to make sure that everybody is roughly on time with the national anthem. Um, but I would love to see it become a a thing with the fans all around because because that's how memories get made, right? Sometimes things go wrong and they become a core part of uh, what you are or what the club is, and, and this could be an opportunity for one of those things to happen. We'll see if it moves forward. Absolutely. The best traditions are the ones that grow organically from from the organization. You know, the other team that plays in that stadium, the Carolina Panthers, their catchphrase, keep pounding, is something that grew organically from Sam Mills, one of their players, and it became – you know, a rallying cry for the club, for for the, the team. Um, and it's one of the best parts, you know, of being a Panthers fan. And I think this has an opportunity to be the same sort of thing for Charlotte FC. Yeah, I agree. And having been in that stadium while the Panthers, the American football team plays, uh, I, I will say that is one of the great organic pieces of, of content that makes you feel like you're a part of it, right? You are in touch with your club. Uh, as far as... those things go the light show was spectacular i will say it and leave it at that the djing was top notch i will say it and leave it at that and the nfl team the panthers i hope there was somebody there taking notes so that their pre-show and and their hype up can be just as good as what we experienced there but otherwise the good in the stadium has been hit to death and i don't want to really kill it any more than it is already dead. So, Justin, <laughs> from you, you know, one of the things that as fans we have a tendency to do is is get blinded by the pretty lights and uh, not always see the things that maybe aren't the greatest or maybe a little bit on the opposite side of the coin. I mean, did you see things that you felt like early on could have been different? Uh, I'm so, so where I have concerns, where I have potentially some issues logan are it's not with the fans it's not with the product that's on the field it's it's maybe with a couple of the business decisions that have been made that that i maybe would have preferred to see them go a different way the first and foremost being um the the change over from a natural grass field at bank of america stadium to a turf field it's a business decision that was made by the owner of both the panthers and charlotte fc david tepper because it means more events can occur at the stadium uh, without the degree of upkeep and resodding and cost that's associated with that. But I think both sports teams are negatively impacted by the presence of turf on the field. I think it increases the likelihood of injuries. Uh, I think it prohibits Charlotte from being a host city for you know some really serious international competition up to and including the World Cup. Uh, they don't tend to play World Cup matches on turf fields. Yep. Um, just a little disappointing to see that done. I understand the business side of it. And I will say, I don't think it necessarily impacts the beauty of the game that gets played on there. You know, the the match that was played against uh, uh, L.A., it had a lot of negatives, you know, in terms of the, the 
play could have been a little bit crisper, but I don't think the field affected that. The other business decision that bums me out a little bit is the fact that besides this match and a few other key matches throughout the season, the upper bowl of the stadium is going to be closed. And Charlotte FC, again, this is a business decision by David Tepper and the rest of the organization, has some of the highest regular season ticket prices of any team in Major League Soccer. And I understand for the lower bowl, uh, you know, that's a premium seat and there's an expectation to pay a premium for it. But given the excitement of the 74,500 people, isn't there maybe an opportunity to open even sections of the upper bowl and have those seats at the 15 or $20 range, something like that, uh, just to get more of those fans in the stadium, just to get more of that experience back for more of those regular season matches. So yeah, again, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you up on this one here. Cause I strongly believe in, in what you're saying. This, this decision to, to close down the upper bowl, you know, I'm, I'm nice and calm about it now, but I promise you, I, I had a few rants at myself earlier on. Uh, these fans love this club. Just starting out, these fans love this club. And I guess if we saw ample evidence over time that there wasn't going to be anyone up there, that during the, the sort of less big occasion events that there were going to be seats on the bottom that weren't filled, uh, then, then maybe I could understand it. But right now where I'm looking at it, I, I certainly don't see why the seats sort of on that halfway line uh, aren't open in the upper bowl. I, th- I personally feel this is, this is not a great decision, and I, I hope it gets looked back on because what I don't want it to do is keep people who want to be there live, who love the game, and who want to love this club uh, away from seeing their team. Right? Yeah. But... You know, those are the nits that I want to pick. And again, it's all about the business side of how things are being done. Uh, you know, I don't think that necessarily impacts the product that's on the field and, uh, you know, shifting us back a little bit. The product that was on the field on that Saturday night was better, I think, than either of us expected going into the match. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think better than either of us either of us expected was a, a good way to say it because... We definitely saw a different team than the one that uh, played before, played against uh, D.C., and part of that was we saw some other players on the field. Obviously, Swiderski on the pitch for the first time makes a a big difference. The way we lined up now with sort of two people up in that top zone there to be targets and there to be outballs certainly changed the way we approached the game all the way from the back right up to the front. Uh, it certainly felt more entertaining to me. Uh, but we can already see that this is an incomplete team right now. We can see it on the field, and they have made no concern of addressing it in the press. You know, they have come right out and said, this is an incomplete team, be ready for that. And and it's visible. But they're still making adjustments, uh, not... Not long ago now, uh, as we are recording, we actually just got a what hopefully will be a boost to our midfield in Derek Jones. And Justin, can you tell me a little bit about Derek Jones? So, yeah, so we're uh, right now, you know, as of the recording of this, we have acquired Derek Jones in exchange for general allocation money. 
so this is is not a player for player swap or anything like that. We're just basically trading some of the the space that's necessary to keep all of these players signed. Um, back to the Houston Dynamo. Uh, it's an interesting deal in that uh, Jones actually went to the Dynamo a year ago for a quarter of a million dollars in general allocation money. We are now giving the Dynamo a quarter of a million dollars in general allocation money this year to get Jones back. They are giving us 50000 in general allocation money next year. So they're kind of in a sunk cost for Derek Jones. But uh, he's a 25-year-old player. He comes to us, uh, you know, after some time in Philadelphia, some time in Nashville, and then, like I said, some time in Houston. Um, 6'4", 174 pounds, so physically, you know, a little bit bigger than a lot of the options we currently have in midfield for Charlotte. And um, not a lot of information available on him online. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to watch a lot of Houston Dynamo matches last year. So um, I'm hoping, though, that he has an opportunity to come in, maybe be a defensive midfield, uh, you know, a steadying presence in the center of the park, capable of passing the ball a little bit. He did, in only 14 starts last season, record two assists, which it's not great numbers for an attacking midfielder, but if he's slotting passes like that from a defensive mid, that's incredibly valuable. Um, and if he has the opportunity to... Maybe you start Brent Bronico in the middle of the park. That's not, from my position, a bad thing. Because, as I said in the uh, the instant reaction, uh, I thought Bronico was pretty anonymous in our match against LA. Yeah, and I do feel like this is one of those sports where you can't reasonably say that boring is best. Um, you know, this is why, for those of you who have watched the post match reactions or intend to in the future, we do have a section in there where we discuss players who catch our eye during the match and, and players who don't because the players who catch our eyes in the stands catch the defender's eyes, right? They catch the opposing team's and midfielder's eyes. They're the ones who, when the ball comes to them, panic happens. And uh, sometimes that is a, a player who catches your eye for a, a good reason. Sometimes it's a bad reason. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of both, but the ones who just sort of vanish into the green grass, we can often look back at and say, oh, you know, if you watch that player through the whole of the game, they didn't really do anything wrong. They didn't, you know, they were kind of tidy with their sideways passes or their backwards passes, but they're not going to break games open for you. They're not going to sell tickets. Uh, they're not going to beat a man in the midfield and, and get the, the energy up for both the players and the fans. And so uh, those players, uh, and again, Bronico now having only seen him twice, has plenty of time to, to turn around and, and show he's, he's more than that. But certainly in this one, you're right, Justin, I wouldn't, I wouldn't horribly mind seeing him have some fair competition, at least, for being right there in the middle of the park. And barring that, I mean, Bronico, I think, is 5'8". Derek Jones is 6'4". Even if your decision is just late in the match, we need a target for crosses uh, and corners, you know, maybe Derek Jones can provide that for you. Yeah, and it is amazing. I mean, for those of you out there who have played football in your life, who grew up playing, you know, for those of you who are just fans of the sport and have not, you know, been able to take the pitch yourselves, uh, I will tell you, as someone who is 6'3", the difference between someone who is six foot three and someone who is five eleven is staggering. 
when that ball is coming in the air. It is a huge, it is astronomically advantageous. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, that could be somebody who we just have there as another target man, and I personally would like to see it since it looks like kind of the way we're playing is that, uh, you know, balls sent into the middle of the pitch from the outside and balls sent up to the top of the pitch is something that we're going to have a lot of uh, opportunity to play with, I think is the right way to say that. I think it's fair when you're lacking a certain creativity in the midfield to, to advance the ball that way. You're going to be looking you know, out on the wings for the runners, and you're going to be looking for that route one pass uh, you know, from the defenders. Christian Fuchs is particularly good at that, mm-hmm. uh, or from the keeper. Well, I think that brings us on to the way we are actually playing the game. And I will say some of the things that I have seen already have been enormously clear and inspire a lot of hope in me because it's clear that we want to distribute out of the back. As we want to go forward, Christian Fuchs has been given a lot of responsibility. Christian Kalina has been given a lot of responsibility. Uh, The more people we bring in named Christian, the more (laughs) responsibility they will have. I think that is the, the... planning strategy of the club right now it's just people named christian give them the ball give them responsibility Uh, yes we'll have the starting 11 christians which will go over well in charlotte north carolina (laughs) oh yeah i uh you know what now i want to see it i don't even care if it's i don't (laughs) i don't don't even care if it's viable go find some high schoolers out there there's got to be some named christian uh anyway uh so we very clearly once we have possession of the ball we want to play a play up through the press, controlled movement up the field sort of football. And I'm a big fan of this form of football. My my team across the, the pond plays this way. It's a very, you know, we're going to constantly keep our hand on the pulse of the match sort of style. It doesn't necessarily allow for other teams to really suffocate you, uh, but one of the things that I am personally seeing, and I have a question for you, Justin, in this is when you're playing this style of football where you want to have this controlled, you know, quick turns, passing through style, you have to get the ball back somewhere. And I don't really see where we're trying to get the ball back. Do you? Do you? No, and and I think, you know, again, we go back to Brent Bronico is playing the defensive midfield position. And, you know, if you're going to be in that center, the just in front of the, the back four or back five in this case, uh, the expectation is that you're going to be in for the tackle. You're going to be, you know, in uh, pressing the attacking player as they're uh, approaching dangerous areas. And I didn't think that we saw a lot of that in the center of the park. And I didn't think that we saw a lot of that in our sort of defensive left, uh, you know, where Joseph Mora, who I, I named as my disappointing player of the match in the postgame reaction played, you know, Fuchs was the one running around trying to cover from, you know, the, the left-hand side of the 18-yard box all the way out to the touchline, which is just too much grass for someone of Fuchs's age to, to try and cover. So I didn't see a lot of pressing. I didn't see a lot of stepping up and, and forcing the attack of the LA Galaxy down sort of that right wing in an area where you had some some danger from LA throughout the entirety of the match. Um, there, there wasn't any pressure forcing players out of 
you know, the, the sort of dangerous areas out of their comfort zones, out of the positions that where they wanted to be sending the crosses in. Uh, instead, it, you know, it, your hands are behind your back, you're backpedaling on the grass, you're trying to keep the, the play just in front of you. And maybe it's a lack of coordination uh, across the back four. Maybe it's a lack of confidence, whatever it might be. Um, I just, I don't know that there is enough pressure, especially from the defensive mid. Um, and again, that left side of the defense, the right side of the defense, I thought did an excellent job. They did. And, you know, Jalen Lindsay is one of the people we highlighted previously and we'll highlight again. It's a, a young kid who is a Charlotte native. And when we saw him in preseason, we said, eh, here's a guy they brought onto the team because he's a Charlotte native. And, uh, the the first two games of the season he played because or he played the way that it looks like he's on the team because he's an MLS level player who's ready to go and wants it uh he was a a big reason that we we experienced as much joy on that side as we got but uh, I do want to highlight one of the things that I looked back on and I felt very early about this team was that we want to play that well-connected style of football and Right now, we don't look very connected, uh, and no. I think your shout-out in Bronico is a really, really good call towards that point in that Bronico is supposed to be in there as a defensive midfielder uh, connecting. You know, His job is to be sort of the first line of the real defense when the other team has the possession, and then when we have possession, his job is to be the first line of relief. You know, He's supposed to be the guy finding space, letting releasing the pressure from when we transition the ball back out. And I think a lot of that disconnect can be down to that point in the pitch. I haven't watched it close enough that I'm ready to nail my colors to the mast and say, this Bronico guy's not getting it done. But I have watched it enough to say there's a disconnect there in the middle of our field and whether the other teams have just set up to take that away from us uh, or we aren't necessarily good enough to to move away from our markers and and really show feet to the ball right i mean this is this is the very beginning stages of football is is how do you show your feet for the person who who needs to give off a pass that style is something that i think will do us well and as of right now looks like we've decided to focus on our defensive aspects and learn how to build forward I personally like this. I, I like that mentality. I like knowing that you're going to start from your base, build a strong base, and push up the field. That being said, Justin, I mean, how do you feel about it? You've been watching the same match as I have. I, I understand the reasoning behind it, right? I understand that, you know, getting yourself set at the back, I think with the first defense or with the first designated player being Christian Fuchs, where you know, other teams have gone for more exciting offensive players. You know, Zinedine Zidane has come through the league. Uh, Chicharito, who we saw on Saturday night for the LA Galaxy. Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, not Zidane. It's, uh, I'm thinking of... Um, David Beckham, perhaps? The, the big uh, one? No, I'm <laughs> thinking of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. He, he went and played in LA for a while. Zidane's retired by now, but... Um, I believe Zidane is coaching somewhere in, in Germany. Real. Oh, uh, uh, Real, of course. Uh, but but it's just one of those where, you know, so many teams go for the big offensive designated player signing because it's flashy. 
Uh, you know, you can be weak at the back, but if you're scoring three goals in a match, you're going to win more than you lose. And, uh, so I think it makes a statement when your first designated player is Christian Fuchs in, in the back line that you're going to focus first on a strong defense and then build towards an attack. And I understand the reasoning behind it, because if your defense is set well and marshaled well, and uh, you know, you're in control of the match, then you do have a great chance of snatching the one nil win. You know, it doesn't take a lot for, for you to squeeze one through and then hold out. See, I'm, um, I'm going to counter you here because I, that's not what I see this aiming towards. And we may be, we may be seeing something different. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts. I have seen a project very similar to this go through where the objective was to become defensively solid. So a core group of skilled defenders learned how to play under pressure. And when they played that, that ball out, that control out, you're going to be trying to push numbers forward because you want to be trying to break down defenses, right? And what I have seen in the past is this can be, if done correctly, and what it looks like it is to me, a really good way of teaching your defenders, hey, we're going to slowly give you more and more responsibility because you need to know later on, it's going to be you guys. You're not going to have Jalen Lindsay with you at all times. You're not going to have whoever is on the other side of the pitch, whether it's Mora or someone else with you at all times. Hopefully, down the line, they're going to be up attacking, which means those of you on this back line, the responsibility is yours. Learn how to handle it now. Show us you can do it. And, and then as we build forward, you guys are going to have to take on more and more of that responsibility. That is how I see it playing out. Do you see it moving towards more of a, we're going to be sort of a, the popular phrase is, is park the bus and hope to hit the counter? I think if you play five at the back in the way that we've played against LA, then you are looking to be a park the bus and counter side because Mora and Lindsay, Lindsay was like, I think we've mentioned very talented going forward and in defense, but he's not playing as a wing back. He's not striding forward down towards the touchline, sending crosses near the corner flag. He's curling in a, admittedly very nice crosses, but they're not coming from, from that deep and stretching the width of the defense uh, when, he's, when he's attacking. Um, he's whipping in those, those curling balls from 30 yards, uh, you know. Yeah, he's, out he's, from he's the, outside the, the box right now. And, and um, I guess, I guess my statement. And, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say Mora was was invisible on the left hand side, but but you know because of that, if you look at the shape and if you look at five at the back, if you look at the number of balls that were played over the top, uh, you know when we recovered, the opportunities that you know in a couple of cases Jordi Reyna had, and a couple of cases Carl Swiderski had, to sort of make those breaks, you know, it it does look a little bit to me like at the moment at least, park the bus, try and make the stop, maybe rely a little bit too much on Christian Kalina's individual excellence in between the posts, and then route one football over the top looking for the, the counterattacking goal. Yeah, I guess uh, early on in the season, I didn't see the route one football coming out as much as I saw the attempt to play through the press, which is what made me feel like the long-term goal here is is learn how to, to squeeze the tube up the toothpaste 
or squeeze the toothpaste up the tube. If you do know how to squeeze the uh, tube up the toothpaste, <laughs> uh, please write to us because honestly, I just want to see it. But uh, the, the way we look to try and play out of a press early on makes me feel like the long-term plan is there for this to be an actual attacking team, uh, a team that wants to be on the ball, controlled on the ball, have possession, and and play their way through defenses. I will be interested to watch, you know, having sort of gotten your opinion of it where it is now, whether that's just what I want to see out of the team or or whether we do look towards that more. Because we all want to see what we want to see, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we do. I do think that, you know, we talked a little bit about Derek Jones. There's a big rumor going around, too, that uh, Kamal Yazwiak, who currently plays for Derby County in uh, England under Wayne Rooney's tutelage, he's the manager out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Polish player is likely to sign for Charlotte soon. Uh, rumor has it he was actually in the stadium for this LA Galaxy match. Oh. Um, and if we get that kind of attacking with, if we get, because he is, he, he is a young left winger, there's an expectation, I think, that he's going to be uh, you know exciting and quick on the ball. 5'9", seems like a real you know fast little guy. But if we get something like that, and then if we maybe see a switch to, you know, maybe back four is a little more settled, something like that, instead of a back five to make space for this left winger coming in, I can see us, you know, making that transition into a team that plays a little bit more of the one touch break the press through the midfield. Um, I think it takes technically gifted players, and I don't know that we necessarily have quite the right kind of technically gifted for that uh that are currently in the starting 11 yeah people that Um, we're looking at on the field right now i do have real concerns as to whether or not they can play that that style um or whether or not it just suits their game everyone plays differently i will i will push us off though because i think one thing that we can say is we've clearly built defensively first and for the most part uh alongside a lot of help from Christian Kalina, who you already shouted out and I'll shout out again, did an amazing job in that particular match. Ultimately, we got beat by one goal, right? We got uh, we got put down by a score of 0-1, and, and that one goal was a worldie. And there's, there's something that I have to, to say is that worldies happen. This is a low-scoring sport, and no matter how good your defense is, sometimes someone will step up to a .01% chance shot, and they will just hit a screamer. And ultimately, the reason we lose this match is because someone stepped up to a .01% chance shot, and they hit it perfectly, and they found the very, very, very top corner on the backside of the net at a crazy angle. It it was a beautiful shot. It was something that, you know, will go down in that player's career as one of them they look back at for the rest of their life. But ultimately, this is a low-scoring sport, which is why I personally want to see us play more up the field. I want to see us try and recover the ball higher up the pitch where we aren't constantly playing in the area that if anything goes wrong, we have to pull the ball out of the back of our net and try again. You know, I'd much rather be playing in their area where if something goes wrong for them, we pull the ball out of the back of their net. That seems like a much, much better plan for me. I mean, Justin, can you tell me, is that too simplified? 
No, I mean, I don't think that it is, you know, going back to the, the goal. It, it, let's give Efrain Alvarez his due. That wasn't a 1% chance. It was a 3% chance, uh, officially. The XG on it was 0.03. And so, you know, 97 times out of 100, that's not a goal because it struck from too far away. And, you know, he hit in the corner of the posts, oh, yeah. the, the he, upper corner. It's it was a impossible to place it better. Uh, he had runners in front of him, so I can't even fault the, the defensive line for Charlotte for not stepping up. When he's 35 yards away from goal and he's got runners in front, your first thought is always going to be, where is he looking to play the pass? Not, he's going to haul back and crack this thing, you know, in into the upper corner where it's just doesn't matter how great your keeper is, that's yep. going in. Yeah, it, it is It is actually an unsavable shot. and. Yeah. And at those times, you have to raise your hand, and I'll raise my hand and say, what a great shot, well done. And and this is why yeah. you know, you do want your team to be able to put at least one and sometimes two or three in the back of the net because you survive those matches where the 3% happens and uh, somebody hits a worldie. But, but it was, it was beautiful, and you know, hopefully this is a lesson for us moving forward. That being said... All around, the defense felt pretty good. It feels like it's that was what they built first. It does feel the most complete of all of our, we're going to call them pods in the team, but that doesn't mean it's without concerns and without issues. Justin, the Mora thing, I know I know, is a big one for you. Do you want to elaborate further on it here? Yeah, I just, you know, again, I just feel like there's, there's too much space on that side defensively i think there's just too much time for the opposition to pick their head up take a look around and pick out just the right pass and more has got to step up and either you know either you need to be a really effective defensive player there or you need to be a really effective offensive player going forward from that position but more didn't do either of those against la and again he pulled Fuchs into positions where he had to keep stepping outside and and the goal did not come down that side but the vast majority of the dangerous opportunities for LA uh, came down their offensive right and our defensive left where where I just was not impressed with how Mora played yeah Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight this as well and I'm not gonna be one of these people who says you know any player over the age of 25 is garbage and they need to go to a retirement home because that's just wrong uh but I will say it it does seem like the way the squad was built was that we were going to get some very young exciting talent who was going to come in and be the future and then we were going to get some some posts some some strong older players who were going to sort of make sure that all the chaos that comes along with younger players was a little bit, you know, tapped down and kept everybody at a bit of an even keel and made the smart decisions in the big moments uh, just to make sure we didn't, we didn't break under the sort of fragility of younger players. And right now, with the exception of Christian Fuchs, who did look very, very, very good, the older players the ones that i felt like were brought into the team to be the ones who made the good decisions and and were reliable are are the ones that really aren't i mean joseph mora is 29 years old he was clearly brought into this team to be somebody who came in with experience we look a little bit further up the pitch 
Yordi Reyna, a name we've talked about in all the wrong ways all too much. Older player, clearly brought in to be a leader, somebody at the front of the line who is going to make the right decisions. Not really showing up for us. I mean, uh, on that back line, uh, you know, I don't know, Justin. I'm not a defensive expert. Give me your thoughts. I, I mean, you know, I've spoken before about Christian McCoon. I will say I thought McCoon had a better match. I will I will uh, back that up. Christian McCoon had a much better match in this one. Just still not necessarily. I think he was asked to stop playing as many long passes out of the back, which I think really improved his, his overall game. Um, I think we've got an opportunity. We traded for a player named Anton Walks from Atlanta, who are our opponents this weekend. Uh, he's been a little bit hurt, hasn't had an opportunity to play. Uh, I, I hope that maybe he has an opportunity to step back in soon. Um, but, you know, it, looking around the even the rest of the pitch, where we've got maybe some older players, you know, TDRTs is also 29. Um, he's playing sort of that right side of midfield right now. And where I thought Jalen Lindsay's playing with the right kind of angry. I think TDRTs might be playing with the wrong kind of angry. Uh, I saw him uh, be part of a, a bench-clearing brawl in the preseason match against Columbus Crew, and I just think he's playing a little too angry. Yeah. And I'm a little concerned about that. And, and you know, again, a 29-year-old player... Is supposed to be the calming an, factor, right? Yeah, an expectation that you're going to be the one kind of keeping the young guys in, in check and, and instead is... You know, TDRTs and, and Yordi Reyna, the other name, you know, that was involved in that brawl in, uh, in Charleston against the Columbus crew, you know, uh, these are guys that are kind of kicking it off instead of calming it down. And so, so that, you know, that actually leads you. me to a good question that just sort of popped into my mind here. And that is, who do you see as the leaders of this team? I think obviously Christian Fuchs is the the you know emotional spiritual leader of the team right but beyond him a lot of these players we talked about who were supposed to be leading the front lines or leading the middle line or being that next guy in the de- defensive line aren't standing up so so who are you seeing leading the team right now I'm, i mean you know from all the way at the back and we keep talking about him but i i think christian kalina does a really good job of marshalling the rest of that defense uh i like his positioning when he comes in as sort of, you know, the sweeper keeper, mm-hmm. which I think is a key part of, of how we're trying to play out of the back is the keeper being available to just switch the play uh, from out of the back. Um, it, you know, I've been a little bit disappointed so far. We haven't seen a lot. I thought Sergio Ruiz was going to be a lot of that. We talked a little bit about maybe some of the issues that he's having. I hope that he comes good in that space. Because I think he has the opportunity to be, you know, both creative, both creatively and morally, uh, uh, a leader in the the midfield. Uh, you know, keep that morale going and everything. And um, I, I don't know yet about Swiderski, uh, but you know, I think if he can just sort of lead by example, uh, I think yeah, I will he say is one of the more gifted, technically gifted players on the pitch for us. And obviously, I don't know anything that goes on in the dressing rooms. I, I will say Swiderski played really well. But I never look at him and go, man, that guy's really leading. Not not in the fact that he wasn't doing his job or he wasn't, you know, and maybe I just missed it in that one match that we've seen him in. But I didn't, I didn't ever get the image that everybody was looking at Swiderski 
right? They were saying, oh, that's a good player, and we trust him up there. But but they weren't rallying behind him, if that makes sense. No, I think the leadership is at the back of the squad. I, I think between Kalina and Fuchs, that's where we've got leadership. And I think that it's... I think that it's telling that we don't really have someone like that in the middle of the park. And and uh, I would like to see, you know, we talk about those pods and, you know, Fuchs can captain the team and Fuchs can lead that back line and Kalina can keep everybody marshaled and controlled in the back and everything. But you need someone further up the pitch. It, it, my preference would be for that to be someone in the midfield that is you know, helping that positioning, helping the call outs for when is it time to play the square ball? When's it time to play the drop ball? You know, uh, when's it time to kick it back and around and find, you know, switch the point of attack with the cross field pass, something like that. Yeah, I, uh, I personally am a big believer in the fact that a good midfield needs two elements. It needs a really, really strong marshal of the game. Somebody who, who sees everything and, uh, you know, is willing to sometimes make the boring passes, but will make the good passes too. And then it needs somebody explosive. It needs somebody who can just cut through lines, who can dribble past a player, um, who can receive on a half turn, and speed can can leave people in the dust. I, I do genuinely feel like we need both of those. And I think we might, in theory, have one in Ruiz in that explosive player, but but we haven't haven't seen him. Do, we haven't seen him there. So uh, I and- think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to throw one other possibility out for the the explosive player in the midfield that we have seen a little bit of, and that's the first-round draft pick, Ben Bender. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Please continue. That is, yes. Just, just you know, a 30-minute uh, sort of cameo appearance late in the match, try and spark something, and, you know, didn't score, but I think technically is better with the ball at his feet than anybody else in the midfield uh, has the opportunity, has the ability to dribble past the opposition. Um, not just, you know, lay the ball off, play the ball back the way the midfield did for uh, the first 60 minutes of the match. Yeah. Bender looks like he's willing to turn, you know, face a defender, face another midfielder and advance the ball at his feet or through, you know, I, I thought some pretty good looking, intuitive passing where he's playing it not just to feet but into space for players to run onto. and you know what i feel like is a is a good point is when i go back to thinking about who looked like they were leading the team who looked like they were trying to sort of g up their teammates and get people going and and move on uh the two people that immediately come to mind are obviously kalina and uh christian fuchs but the other two who really stood out to me are Jalen Lindsay and Ben Bender. And one of them was only on the field for, as you said, 30 minutes, but it was a light up 30 minutes. He looked like he wanted to be there. He looked like he was going to make the whole team better, not just himself. He ju- he wasn't just going to work hard. He was going to drag everybody else with him, whether they liked it or not. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, did you, did you see, see similarly in there? I mean, absolutely. But, you, you know, we talked just a few minutes ago about how the expectation was the old hands were going to, you know, calm this team and carry them through. And, and it's the 21 year olds in the squad in Lindsay and Bender that I think are showing more uh, ability, professionalism and passion for the squad than some of the older players that, uh, that we've gotten in this roster so far. Yeah. I can't, 
I cannot argue that point at all. Really quick, because I think we've we've done a pretty good job looking up and down the field. I will say we are playing Atlanta FC on Sunday at 4.30 Eastern. Justin, right now I am giving you full control of the team. For this match, what are you doing with it? I am taking us out of the back five. I'm dropping us to a back four and asking Christian Fuchs to play in a defensively minded left back role. And I'm starting Ben Bender in the middle of the park. Okay. Uh, I'm dropping Mora. Uh, I'm keeping Lindsay and, and uh, Fuchs as the fullbacks. McCoon and Kuruho in the, the center of defense. And I am bringing Ben Bender on to play at least 70 minutes from the start of the match to give him the opportunity to try and control the game. Yeah, so you would be setting up in a in a 4-5 or a 4-4-2? Probably a 4-4-2, you know, with the expectation I think Jordi Reyna sort of played up top. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Reyna, maybe it's somebody else, but, but you know, um, I don't think that we necessarily have the personnel for, for sort of a 4-2-3-1. Which yeah, and it's I a challenging system to run. It is. But, uh, you know, I think a 4-4-2... Uh, with Bender having an opportunity to play in a central midfield role, I think uh, would be a good way. Uh, if you can't go to four in the middle and you want to keep five at the back, then I would like to see, it, I mean, maybe TTRT's dropped in favor of Ben Bender, uh, just because I think Bender deserves the opportunity to start. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would remove TTRT's. I will say I saw a lot of our, our good attacks that did move through him. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those good attacks moved up into Jordi Reyna. So there is clearly a bit of a partnership developing between Reyna and Ortiz. And if if that starts to come good, that could be something in a couple of matches where like, yes, Reyna and Ortiz uh, all day, every day. But uh, for now, uh, I think deserves a little bit more time to develop. You're right. I would prefer to see Bender on the field probably over one of our defensive players. I think we have the skill there to to put on a good show, and I would rather see an overall better product than just a defensive, well, than just a parked bus. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm excited to see what comes next. I've I've enjoyed watching these, and yeah, I, I think one of my favorite things to say is that I already have have players I want to see out there. I already have people who make me excited for the next match, and and that's all we can really ask for. Absolutely. Well, uh, Justin, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, for now, I am no for certain that I will talk to you after the Atlanta match. So, ladies and gentlemen, 74,000 strong.